0: I woke up this morning with vertigo. Super. What comes to mind is that it's all about the instability. In Ayurveda we would say Vata. I had someone text me a couple of days ago and she said was your last podcast July 15th? And I said, no way. I've done more since then. And then I looked back, and she was absolutely right. I don't know this summer what has happened with time, what has happened with routine, stability, And now waking up with vertigo makes me wonder, when I thought I was managing it all okay, there was an undercurrent whispering to me saying, hey, a lot's going on, take, take care of yourself, slow down. So a lot of times what happens to me when I get a symptom like this, if I get a cold or I don't really get vertigo but here we go is I first of all go into this line of questioning around how did this happen what did I miss and what did I do there are two sides to all of those questions much like there are two sides to all facets in the yoga philosophies So all of those questions could be asked in a way that is really compassionate, or they could be asked in a way that's really critical. Oh my God, I can't believe you got sick. What did you do? What did you eat wrong that doesn't agree with your system? How did you not notice this coming on? Oh, I'm so stupid, all those things, right? Luckily, I've been practicing really strongly. And when I say practicing, I don't mean downward dog. When I hear negative messages about myself from within myself, my first response now is, but I love you. Why would I say that? So I walk by the mirror and I think, oh, body image. Oh, I've gained weight. Before I used to go into a big spin about what that meant about me and my body and my actions and my lovability. And now in in the part of my life cycle where I am, I'm nipping in the bud and saying, but I love you. I'm not going to say those things about myself anymore. So there's a compassionate way for me to ask those questions. What were the signs that I didn't see this past week coming through? Was there a way in which I could have not gotten to the point of vertigo? And all of those questions would be asked more with curiosity than judgment. For about 10 years, I've been telling people in yoga that we are entering a very, very strong vata time. That the uncertainty is rising, which ayurvedically speaking, we would say the wind. The winds are coming up and the instability is rising. Now, when Trump got elected, that was a big one. That was a huge disruption in the world. Like the biggest tsunami wiping through an area. And I would argue that that tsunami affected the entire world. Because the presence of the United States is strong in the world. The presence of Donald Trump within the United States is incredibly strong in the world. So up goes vata, because he is a destroyer. In his destruction, we lose the structures that we are used to living with. We might not like all those structures, but we're used to them. They give us stability. They give us something to butt up against. They give us something to hold on to, even if we don't like the way they feel. So Trump gets elected. The wind washes through. Since that time, coming on four years, right? We are in actually four years. There has been so much structural shifting. But shifting is a positive word. Shifting implies that we are changing structures in a way that Like we're not just destroying them, we're shifting them and and changing them and they're growing and they're transforming. Well, really what we're seeing is mass destruction without really any idea of what we're building to replace them. Postpartum depression is a really great example of vata. So a woman is pregnant, she has her baby and then there's emptiness in her belly. The emptiness gets filled by wind that wind is the depression when things are taken away I'm not saying the baby is taken away but that baby was taking up space within her body so that baby is no longer in her body there's loss so when things are taken away when we have a loss of a loved one when someone dies we get this emptiness that comes in and this insecurity and anxiety that comes up and that's vata so when COVID hit it's like the toothpicks that were left of the buildings got blown down. I know that there have been conversations around grief during COVID And I don't know, I don't know that enough of us are talking about it. I don't know that enough of us talked about grief when Trump got in, quite honestly, because we were just too busy pointing fingers, laughing, crying, squirming in our seats. Grief is an interesting thing. We can feel grief when something ends that we want to end, like we leave a job or we leave a marriage that was unhealthy. We graduate from school, done with school, so happy to be gone, and yet there's grief because it's a sunset, it's a loss. There's a letting go. So here we are We slowed down right away during the lockdown. We started to bake sourdough bread. We grew sprouts. We planted seeds for the garden within our homes that could then be planted to give us food security. We had time to read again. We had time to walk. We had time to talk to our partners and some of those conversations unfortunately have led to divorce. Some have exacerbated abuse. There was freedom and gloriousness in the lockdown. And at the same time, there was real difficulty and sharp edges and fear. I closed our studio, the bricks and mortar. And as much as there was relief in that closing to let go of a $4,000 rent, there is still the loss of something beautiful that was built and something that gave us all a sense of community, belonging, stability, structure. When I closed the studio in May, I was so focused on bridging toward online and keeping our people together, on being busy about it all, that I don't know that I fully gave myself time to grieve. I did give myself one morning and I know the irony of this statement. One morning on Facebook Live, I asked people to help me to do a ceremony to close that space and I felt the grief and another time I wrote a newsletter and I cried a good cry. But it's only been in the last couple of weeks, so, you know, two months after closing, more than that, maybe three months, where I've sort of looked around and said, oh gosh, there's no studio. Autumn is coming. What will I do? How will I show up for people aside from Zoom? I don't want that expense back. I don't want that burden <clears throat> of pre-COVID, I would say last December or November, of having that large debt. And yet, I miss it and I grieve for it, but in the hurrying on to the next. What's next? We're all asking, what will be the new normal? We can't build a new normal. We can't build a creative, adaptive, responsive world if we are not willing to be here now. If we're not willing to anchor our roots down in the moment, However uncomfortable, we won't have the resources to build right. We'll just be frantically putting out fires still and try to build from the burnt wood within the fire pit. The antidote to vata, the antidote to that excess wind is love compassion. You know when, when you've lost someone close to you or someone that you know has, and how often people say, how are you doing? And they might not say this in exact words, but the intonation is, are you over it yet? It's time to stop getting over it it's time to stop the language of that. Because if it weren't for my time of owning a studio, I wouldn't be the teacher that I am. I knew that within the next five years, I wanted to shift out of the responsibility of studio ownership, but I didn't expect it to come in this form, nor so quickly. I was getting ready on a five to 10 year trajectory. but had I not gone through that early kind of ripping away of something that I wasn't ready to release I wouldn't be who I am today and so to get over it implies that I can wrap it up in a little gift and set it in a boat out to sea all of these events all of these moments add up to make us who we are. Jeanette Winterson wrote that when someone dies, there is a cutout in your heart in their exact shape. And so even when you remarry or you find a new dear friend, that exact cutout will never be filled. There's always going to be, like Leonard Cohen would say, the cracks where the light gets in. Because that person was important. You know, my friend Joanne died a couple of years ago. And Before she died, I was doing some chelation therapy with Brian Knappett to get some heavy metals out of my system, and when I first did chelation, so chelation takes out all, everything almost, from inside of you, all the minerals and whatever, but it's it's to create a really big purge to then fill you up again. So when I looked at my fingernails and my thumbnails, I could see the indent in each nail because it's such a good way of checking your nutrients, right to look at your fingernails. I could see the same indent on all ten of the nail beds, almost like I could mark the date that I had started chelation therapy. Joe asked me to to um, host or lead. Her celebration of life which when she asked me I thought you're crazy but as my coach I know she was growing me by asking me so I told this story at her celebration of life and I said that although I hadn't known her that long maybe five years it's as though I could see the imprint she left on every nail on the year that we met I don't want to get over Joe. Because in the getting over, it sounds to me like I'm erasing the imprint on my nail, which is impossible. I learned so much from her. I'm not in mourning. It's been long enough. I miss her less and less every day, but I still miss her. And She impacted me, and I will be forever changed in who I am because of my time with her. So I'm not going to get over her. I'm going to keep my memory of her in a joyful way. And I'm going to integrate my time with her into my life, and I have done that. The integration means not eradication of the memory. So when I look back to last fall, pre-COVID, there are ways in which I needed things to change. COVID radically changed all of those things and more. But to create a better future, I need to remember those things that I wanted to change. I need to remember what that felt like to not so that I don't recreate it. Right? The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. If we don't take the time to pause, to integrate, to reflect, then we won't be able to create the society that we need to sustain my niece and her children, her grandchildren. So love and compassion Is my ability to look back and see there was some real good in owning that studio. There was some real difficulty in it. And all of it is of value to me, all of it will lead me to a better place. So how will I proceed in honor and respect to who I am and how I want to live? One of Joe's colleagues adopted me after Joe died and said, I want to carry on the work you were doing with her. So once a month, Nikki and I meet on the phone, and I always love our conversations. They're different than I had with Joe because Joe and I were face to face, and there was another level of friendship and history between us. And I think probably also with Joe because she knew that she was dying of cancer there was a different level of conversation there always is in that state Nikki and I get down and dirty for sure just like Joe and I did and she calls me on really good stuff because she doesn't know me as well so she can call me on stuff that Joe probably hesitated in our mutual respect for each other there was more tiptoeing perhaps so Nikki asked me when COVID struck it seemed like a time where making a five-year plan was utterly nonsensical, right? It was just not the right time to do that. So what she asked of me instead was, can you write a letter to yourself from you 10 years from now? So I'm 50 this year. I turned 50 in November in November and so I would have been 60 writing that letter. So I wrote the letter and I explain the feeling in the day. So I wrote the letter as, you know, dear me, 50 years old, I'm just finishing the espresso that I made for myself this morning, and I'm going to go out into the garden, walk the dogs first on our land, and then I'll go out in the garden and tend the vegetables, and on and on and on. And from that letter, I I wrote a mind map. Mind map is a circle in the middle of a page where you write in a date. So the date would be 2025. And in this particular one, what I wrote in the center was what came from the note or from the letter. What came from the letter is how I want to live when I'm 60. Is I want to live as though I have time. You know, a while ago, in the fall, probably, maybe, maybe even this time, August-ish last year, I said to Barb, who was the manager at Ahimsa and a good friend, I feel like I've fallen water skiing and I forgot to let go of the rope. So I'm just being dragged through the water, getting mouthfuls of water, really drowning myself. I don't want to live that way anymore. So in the middle of my circle, I wrote, there is time. I think I said, I have time, I have enough, and I am enough. And I let that be the center of my circle, and from there, I drew squiggly lines out from the circle to be filled in. I don't look at the mind map a lot, or I didn't until a couple of weeks ago. And a couple of weeks ago, I saw this line that said, don't chase people. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Because in the past month or so, I've let anxiety or anxious feelings step in. And that's probably why I haven't done a podcast. Because it wouldn't be coming from truth. It would be coming from the illusions of anxiety. Because anxiety is lying to you all the time. So in my anxiety, I had decided that my numbers were dropping in classes because I had closed the studio and I had abandoned people. That my numbers were dropping because... Nobody likes me if I don't have this space and pay so much in rent. Please hear this. I know it's illusion. But I'm just being vulnerable and sharing it. The truth is that my numbers are dropping because we're all spinning like tops. Like those signs that blow in the wind. You know, open, close, open, close, open, closed at a store sheet flapping on the clothesline nobody can get into routine right now and back to grief when someone loses their partner for example I often will see them because they haven't been coming to yoga I'll see them maybe in the grocery store or they'll email me and they'll say I I just can't do yoga right now and I'll say i bet. It's too hard to be so still and to be in the blaring noise of your mind with nothing to distract you. Of course. I mean, who wants to be still right now? So the truth is, this is a moment the truth is that the story we make around the moment is illusion like nobody likes me anymore because I'm not spending $4,000 a month in rent that does such a disservice to my client base because my client base is full of the most beautiful people you could ever imagine that are so generous and kind to me The truth is, we will get through this with each other's help. So, in my anxious spin, I created stories that led me to feel less than I needed to about myself and my actions. And one day I said to myself, Ali, it's COVID. Everyone is in this. No one is saying you are wrong. In fact, all I hear from people is you were so smart to shut down when you did. So that's anxiety. And it kept me away from myself. The way that I have come back is breath, so harnessing the wind, oils and routine, which is loving kindness, and saying to myself, those are not true statements. Look at the truth. And to say to myself, I love you. These are the ways that we can rebuild right. Stopping, hearing the messages that we're giving to ourselves and correcting them. I'm reading a book called Resilient by Rick Hansen. And this one statement I just love that he said. He said, Adversity is completely overrated in terms of being a strengthener. Adversity depletes, utterly depletes us. What strengthens us is working in the relaxation response. Spending more time in what he calls the green zone and being out of the red zone of reactivity, fear, anxiety. I loved that line, adversity is overrated. So 10 years ago, when I started to talk about Vata getting stronger, that was about humanity, which I've talked to you about before, right? From going from land-based rituals to industrial revolution to now the technological age where everything is etheric. So 10 years ago I said, we've got to start taking care of ourselves. And I would say that 10 years ago I started to notice that it took longer for people to start to yawn in classes, which said to me, stress levels are higher because they are not getting out of fight or flight as soon as, or as early as they used to. Then five years ago, or four years ago, it was taking even longer time to get people to yawn. Stress was that much higher, and I started to say more loudly, we need to take care of ourselves. Like climate change, Our bodies now are so loud, this vertigo, my sister's shoulder is really out in a way that is unmanageable. We have got to pay attention. So in the past year or so, instead of pummeling my body with two nut balls and deep powerful stretches. I've been experimenting with activating the relaxation response as a method for helping my body to feel better. And it's, aside from this vertigo today, it's working. But the truth is, we need to be ruthless. To go into the relaxation response is a loving act. It's creating such a safety around you like a reparenting of your inner child. So I inhale to eight, which has to start at the pelvic floor, at the tip of the tailbone, activating the pelvic floor diaphragm. <clears> on <throat> one, on two, on three, on four, on five, on six, on seven, on eight. So full of breath. Then I exhale, equally slowly, to twenty. <coughs> And on that slow exhale, the vagus nerve kicks in because the nervous system is calming down. Inflammation starts to drop because when you get your stingrays moving in your body, when you get your diaphragms moving properly, we unlock the stingrays, the grace, the fluidity. When we do that, The diaphragms, AKA stingrays, move the bones. The bones move the fluid. The fluid carries your life energy and lowers your inflammation. That is an act of the deepest loving kindness. So we have the tools. We have the tools within us. I know I've talked about, well, maybe not in a podcast actually, there was this time when when people had to go through priests and they were called Brahman in order to know God. So they would offer the priest sacrifices. And the priests would then sacrifice to the gods to ensure good crops, for example, for a farmer. Over a period of time, there were people that started to experiment with meditation, what we would now call meditation. They sat in the woods, in the forest. And in their practice, they found God within So they went to the priests and they said, I mean, this is all my version of the story. They went to the priests and they said, we don't need you to find God. We can find it within. Imagine the structural shift. Imagine the destruction that happened within that society. When the caste of priests of Brahman were shifted out and down. When people took the power in their own hands to find God, imagine that disruption. For so long now, we have asked governments, corporations, people in quotation marks, power, to build our structures for us. And then they get us to hold them together. The money, some of it, trickles down. Much of it stays in their hands. Times are a-changing, aren't they? We are finding power from within. But if we don't stop and listen to our inner committees of elders and sages and wise ones, then we will continue like animal farm to create structures of power over. We will continue in imbalance, prejudices. But if we can take this time and get quiet, some of us need vertigo to stop us. Others need a disease process to stop them. To make us get quiet. To listen. This summer I've seen otters a lot. And I always think that otters particularly are such a gift. They're rare to see. They're shy. My mom said to me, the otters are showing up for you. And so there was this day that we were going to go paddling, my partner and I. And the night before, my computer malfunctioned and some other stuff was coming that I had to do for work. And it was supposed to be a day off. And I thought, oh, God, it's getting in my way. I'm not going to be able to play like I want to play. I'm going to be stuck going to the computer store and blah, blah, blah. So I asked the otters for help in the morning and my computer was easily fixed by me and by itself. All the stuff I had to do was done within a half hour. The rest of the day opened up for us to play. So I thanked the otters. The signs are everywhere that we are loved. We are supported and held. Our highest good is just waiting for us to unwrap it to take the wrapping paper off open up the box and say wow I am really really fabulous and so are you and so are you and so are you let's step into our magnificence find the power from within to rebuild right to rebuild fairly, to rebuild with love and kindness, compassion, not fear, sentimentality, or just plain holding on to what is familiar. We are braver than that. We are more creative than that. So thank you, Vertigo for making me pause today for giving me something to talk to you about in a podcast I take your invitation and I will sit with you vertigo and I will listen and when I come out of this I will be stronger and more grounded and rested and trusting if I play it right So I stand with you, shovel in hand, ready to build, when it's time. Right now, it's time to listen. I wish for you a day of self-created peace. The light in me bows to the light in you, Namaste.